This is my own private domicile and I will not be harassed! Bitch! Gangsters, what's up guys? What's the grant to a motherfucker like me? Can you please remind me? Get the world by the tail! Fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. Cute as shit. Oh, 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 skip, skip, skip. If you don't chew big red, then f you. That's so horny. Could you imagine if I hit the old water pipe with that thing? Oh. Great cash, homie. Three, two, one, let's fuck! Everybody's got to hear the shit on W Balls, W Balls, W Balls. for this episode one because i think it's a good piece that i've written this past week i hope everyone was doing well by the way can you dig it i absolutely can because i am talking into my new equipment that i've just set up over the past couple weeks i am very technically challenged even though i sell technology for a living and broadcast my business over the internet which is really really fucking bizarre if i can say that for itself but anyways um i'm talking to a new mic so hopefully it sounds a lot better i got headphones in i got the whole shit plugged in i'm still waiting to find out how to, I guess, navigate all this. I got a lot of fucking wires going everywhere and all this kind of stuff, but it's finally starting to feel official, which is cool because it's giving me a new set of, I would say, um, perspectives, energy to go about this. I feel like, you know, I just watched a bunch of podcast clips going over here. I got the Joey Diaz. We're going in like fucking Marines coming in around my head, which is, which is awesome. But I'm really excited about this episode because I think that I have done a lot of work recently. And if you've been following my content for a while, you guys have been um, subjected to it, unfortunately or fortunately, you know, whatever you think about that, that to a lot of content surrounding masculinity, femininity, gender, that whole type of stuff, biological sex, everything surrounding it. And I wanted to write this just out, off of really one particular moment I had, I would say, with my boxing coach, a guy named Sean Apperson. So shout out to Sean Apperson if you are listening right now. Hope you are, but understand if you're not. But I had this conversation started when I had a talk with Sean about a lot of different things and do and you know I, I remember just kind of shooting this shit with him. I've gotten to know him uh, very, very well over the past you know year or, or over over a year now that I've been working at his gym, shout out Archetype Boxing Club in Austin, Texas. And so got into a really kind of interesting discussion about psychology, about male psychology in particular, which is what this post is about. And I wanted to kind of give it more of a shine on it. I had a lot of fun kind of just diving in to all of these concepts, all of this stuff surrounding masculinity, surrounding men, their, their inherent nature, all this kind of stuff. So it was super cool. And I'm really looking forward to diving in and getting into it. So without further ado, on the new mic for the first time, here we go. The human mind is the subject of much controversy, conjecture, and pseudoscience. We aren't even close to understanding it, which is wild to think about, considering we're now building successful artificial models that exact same thing. Shout out ChatGPT or fuck ChatGPT, whatever you think about it. I would have thought we would have learned that lesson from Skynet, but we have not. Even though much of what will inevitably turn out to be good, there is a large portion of bad that it will also inevitably come from it. 
The one thing, however, that artificial intelligence and machine learning cannot replace is the stress that the human mind is constantly put under by the world. This is the one thing that, in my opinion, all of the brilliant mathematicians and scientists who design things like ChatGPT don't take into account. A human being, no matter how exceptional, reacts remarkably differently under conditions of pressure, stress, and testing. You can take a daddy's money kid from Silicon Valley all you want with the best teachers, trainers, and tutors in the world. That child could very well be exceptional during that environment. But all that changes when that child is removed from that environment. When forced to swim with whatever sharks inhabit our proverbial ocean, we always change. Always. It makes us evolve, certainly, but in a sense, it also makes us de-evolve. We end up resetting to these times of old, where things became much more complex by becoming more simple. Where things were so easy to grasp, but so hard to do. It's a type of change that is unique to our time, strictly because modernity is made in a completely alien concept to most of us. I've been boxing for a little over a year now. I love it more than I ever thought that I would. My local gym in Austin, again, shout out Archetype Boxing Club, has become a second home for me. And this is big coming from someone like me. I've gotten up between 4 to 5 o'clock every morning to go lift weights since I was 14 years old in the freshman high school. I love it, and I still do. I never thought that anything would ever displace it. Lifting was always something that grounded my ever-lofty brain. No matter what was going on in my life, the weights that I would pick up in the next day would still be heavy as shit. Weight doesn't change. It just is. That was always, and still is, an incredibly comforting thing to force yourself to confront. But boxing is different. There is nothing to lift. Nothing is the same. Every combination you throw, every foot movement, every twist of your shoulders to avoid a punch is different and never changing. There's repetition, certainly, as there is in nearly everything. But there is a certain unpredictability that forces your mind to pick up on things quickly. You need to, particularly if you're like me and fail to get your hands up to protect yourself from getting your neck blown out from jabs to the face. That's never fun. Lifting is essential to me because it allows my, me to turn my brain off. As someone whose brain is forced to run almost all day because of what I do, this is absolutely essential for me. It's what was so appealing for me about it for so long about getting in the weight room and pushing my body to the furthest end of its extreme. I didn't have to think about the weight. The weight just was, and it always will be. For that 10 plus years, it became a place where I went to vent my frustrations and gain a new perspective about life. There are many dark moments in my life that were quite literally forced out of my system due to me forcibly adopting a different type of suffering to counteract whichever one I was going into that particular session. But boxing, remarkably, is now more essential to me than lifting is. Boxing is the complete opposite of lifting. Boxing requires constant thought and pressure applied to your physical movements. You cannot be a dumb boxer and be a good boxer. They are inherent opposites of one another, things that cannot be included in the same analysis. I thought long and hard about why this is. I'm far from an expert and hardly a functioning practitioner. The conclusion that I've come to, and the one that I've told nearly everyone who will listen to me about it, is this. While lifting forces you to gain, boxing forces you to grow. More than the transformation I've seen in my body, which has been an incredibly nice one to see for sure, the transformation of boxing in my mind has been nothing short of revolutionary. Whenever I leave my gym, I leave with a sense of calm and a sense of peace that I've gotten out of the session that I've needed to get out of it. And the same, unfortunately, cannot be said all the time with lifting. Because too often, while lifting, the sense of contracted frustration comes over me, that my body cannot fully relax and surrender. The same cannot be said if you're giving it your full effort from boxing. You leave a training session feeling completely spent, and it's the best feeling in the world. I think if you brought up this phenomenon to my boxing teammates, they would say the same thing. 
The transformation I've seen in some of these folks since taking up the sport has been nothing short of incredible. Not only are they incredibly talented boxers, their attitudes about life have completely shifted. They're more assertive, kinder, aggressive, and wiser. It's been truly remarkable to see. Some people have been so fundamentally altered that I believe, should they ever leave, they would lose that part of themselves forever. They just wouldn't be the same. A piece would be missing, one that is not easily replaced. I had a conversation with my, one of my boxing coaches about this exact thing. Certain people need our boxing class, I said to him. They need the gym. And he confirmed my suspicions, citing 20 plus years of martial arts coaching, practicing, and training that people need a skill, preferably a combination of a mental and physical one, to constantly work on and improve. That's why martial arts, if I had to guess, are becoming so popular. It's a holistic approach to not only building skills, but building a way of life. However, there was one group that I asked him about in particular that I had noticed, and thankfully he had as well, that needed the gym just a little bit more than others. One that, in normal times, would be perfectly obvious. One that, however, seeing as you live in far from normal times, took me a while to force out of my system. Older men. One of the most beautiful things to me about my time as a consistent six times a week boxer has been seeing older men come alive when they step inside of my gym. It's been the one constant factor that I've seen with a particular demographic of people. It brings something out of them that hasn't been alive in a very long time. It's not something you can pick up from their demeanor itself, per se. It's something almost intangible, something that you really have to pay attention to. It mostly comes out in the way they conduct themselves. They have a little extra pep in their step. Their eyes light up with a fire that has been long since stomped out. They try harder. They peacock less. They work to make sure that they are putting in an effort to not just look good or get a good workout in, but to actually get better. There is something about boxing that speaks to them, something that they know is right specifically for them. I've been struck by this, and I've wondered ever since that conversation with my coach why this specific phenomenon with this specific group is a thing. I've done a lot of research into men in recent years, particularly the last year, and especially in the last year. There is a lot, to the contrary of what most will tell you, that is fucked up about the current state of masculinity in men, particularly in America. I've done numerous po posts and podcasts about the statistics surrounding it. Hardly any of them are good, and I don't want to bore you by repeating them once again. What I want to focus on in this podcast is the intangible stuff, the conversation running alongside the statistical analysis that people want to talk about even less. One of the most enlightening and disheartening things about that research are conversations that I've had with some of the older men in my personal life. While this is certainly not the case with every man, it is definitely the case with more men than I anticipated. There is something wrong existentially with their attitudes about life and the world. Many of them feel trapped by their surroundings. The world that they've willingly immersed themselves in, one defined by comfort and stagnation, is beginning to strangle them. They're choking on their submission to the world around them. They can hardly breathe because they've cut themselves out from the oxygen the men have needed to survive throughout history. The walls are closing in, without a duo of droids waiting in the wing to save them. That's a Star Wars reference, if you guys didn't know that, Star Wars 4, to be specific. But anyways, the positive, quote, solution that many have thrown out for this group is simple. They need to, quote, work on themselves. They need to go to therapy, put themselves on medication, domesticate themselves further in order to find their inner balance and peace that they seek. They need to, quote, talk with someone. They need to, quote, get their feelings out in the open. They need to, quote, be kinder to themselves, to stretch their feelings even further out into the world so they can be envelop them in a warm embrace. This is the wrong approach. The solution for the existential crisis that men are under in the realms of our modern world is not to get them to, quote, work on themselves. Men do not need to find anything, specifically anything related to their current problems. 
The problem is not one of obtaining something new. Rather, it is about recovering something that has been lost. That thing that men need to retrieve is their primality. Not the primality that comes with bashing skulls and pillaging cities, but the primality that comes with honoring their masculine identity and providing themselves with a sense of inborn purpose. Those older tropes of masculinity, the ones that have been so callously labeled, quote, toxic, are the ones that men need if they are to further lock in with who they are and unleash their full potential. Women, even though they struggled throughout history to achieve this, can access this birthright with relative ease in our time. Men, on the other hand, have to try harder, look in different avenues, and force themselves into uncomfortable situations. When something has been deliberately hidden, the harder you must search, try to search for it. To see the roots of the issue and make an attempt to fix them, we will need to tackle our usual number of three main topics. First, we'll have to analyze what things have been taken from men due to the modernization of our culture and the ostracization of masculine roots. Second, we must give an honest assessment about how losing those things has affected these men and has made their lives undeniably worse. Lastly, we must see how we can work to bring them back in adaptive and constructive fashion for modern culture. And as Forrest Gump said, I'm a smart man, but not smart enough to avoid 20 straight jabs to the face. Or something like that. It actually wasn't like that. But, you know, it's my podcast, so I can say whatever the fuck I want. And I'm so happy that I don't have to... I don't know if you guys can hear that, but I just took another drink of water. If you guys are fans of my podcast, my clip on mic would just bang around. You'd hear me, like, gulping water like a fucking crazy person, lunatic, whatever. I'm so glad I don't have to do that anymore. That's honestly one of the biggest perks of buying this mic. But anyways, if there is any work of art in the modern age that displays the effects of modernity, albeit to an extreme, on modern masculinity, it would undoubtedly be Chuck Palahniuk's Fight Club, which was adapted into what has been the largely deemed the greatest cult film of the last quarter century by David Fincher. Upon release in both formats, the work was pilloried by critics as a work of neo-fascism and patriarchal oppression. What the story is actually about, notwithstanding the very clear problems of the way most of the characters act, act in the film, is this. Purposelessness. The story of Fight Club is one of immense and palpable disenfranchisement of the modern man in current age America. The modern man, to the correct por- point of Paulinic and Fincher, is largely adrift in this new and great society that we've created. The essential tools of what have made men men, namely hardship and struggle, have been removed by things such as technology and societal advancement of other groups. These are not bad things at all. But to men, they have provided a unique challenge of forcing men to swim in an ocean they've had no experience in before. This has made men into something unnatural. It has forced them to forsake their biological instincts for things that are completely unfamiliar and not supportive of what has given men meaning throughout history. They have been sidelined shelved into being forced to do things they would otherwise never seek to do themselves. Tyler Durden, the main character of the film, is the one that finally opens the men of Fight Club to this reality. He is the wrecking ball that brings down the already crumbling building. It's timely harbinger waiting to put it out of its misery. Durden is also the architect, the living embodiment of the Nietzsche's ubermensch, waiting to bring out the duality of man and every single man the Fight Club has been tread upon by the world that envelops and suffocates them. He makes this abundantly clear in his timeless monologue, one where he declares merciless and open warfare on the world that has turned their backs on the people that once helped to build it. Quote, Man, I see in the Fight Club the strongest and smartest men who have ever lived. I see all this potential, and I see squandering. God damn it, an entire generation pumping gas, 
waiting tables, slaves with white collars. Advertising as us chasing cars and clothes, working jobs we hate so we can buy shit that we don't need. We're the middle children of history, man. No purpose or place. We have no great war, no great depression. Our great war is a spiritual war. Our great depression is our lives. We've all been raised in television to believe that one day we'd all be millionaires, movie gods, and rock stars. But we won't. And we're slowly learning that fact. And we're very, very pissed off. End quote. Durden is appealing to the ancient call of God, the one he first exclaimed in Genesis. Achieve dominion over the world. Subdue it. Be fruitful and multiply in not just a childbearing sense, but one that will highlight your ability to not just be alive, but to live. This is the ancient birthright of man, the one that has carried him throughout all the troubles and tribulations of life to achieve a meaningful existence. The reason, derived from God, why men have a purpose is to work. It is to feel, and more importantly, be of use to the world around them. Men do not want to be loved and respected for who they are. They want to be loved and respected for what they do. A man's worth, no matter how he chooses to explain or express it, is strictly derived from how he can take on the world and move it to a place where he can begin to take advantage of it. But, due to the conveniences of modernity, this software, the essential programming of men that has allowed them to have a chance to achieve what they need to survive in the world, has been completely reprogrammed. The things that used to give men much meaning, the things that we had before modernity, are mostly extinct. We do not need men to do the things that they traditionally did to the extent that they used to do them as much as we once did. We have completely ripped the software out of the machine, the male existence in mind, without thinking that we needed to do the same with its hardware, the men themselves who made those things up. Modernization has done explicit harm to men because it has done what Fight Club and Tyler Durden explicitly call out, made men rudderless in a world that is defined by people with rudders. People that take it upon themselves to make themselves useful, particularly the men that do this, are the ones that can most successfully navigate the world and force themselves to adopt a purpose that suits wherever the direction they're heading towards entails. The things that men traditionally did and had to do in mass to feel that useful productivity are no longer allowed in this world in which we live. Fighting is outlawed except for in professional sports or in very segregated areas of society. Hunting is mostly done by the factory farming system by very few people. Building things and taking risks are constantly discouraged and shouted down. Safety is now the calling card for most people in our current cultural climate. Even the act of providing the joy that a man gets from taking care of those entrusting them with their care is now largely considered an act of patriarchal oppression by a disturbingly large amount of people. The needs of men are no longer being met for the simple reason that all of the old roots to those needs have been filled in and burned away. However, there is also a responsibility that, of course, men must take as well, one that will continue to perpetuate the problem should we not acknowledge our complicity in it. The lack of adaptation of men themselves. Men have not adapted to culture, so we have therefore conformed around it in an attempt to survive. The shift has caught us off so off guard that it has forced us to adopt programming that doesn't suit our natural order in the way that we have seen the world for the entirety of our existence. The inability and weakness of men to not demand that our support systems in the world be upheld is largely why we find ourselves in a situation that seems so bleak. For all the claims you hear of the few fighting for this cause for men to take up their crosses and lead with responsibility, very few are doing so, and even fewer are doing that encouragingly by backing it up and leading from the front. There has been a lot of commentary in recent years on traditional gender roles between men and women. I believe a lot of the statements defending them to be correct. However, 
I believe that I defend them from a different lens than most who do so do. I believe that traditional gender roles have value not explicitly because of our need to enforce structure and order and frameworks so that most people can live a good life, even though that certainly is an important factor. I believe that gen traditional gender roles have value in an even greater fashion because men and women both lean on them to create meaning for themselves in life. The act of creating and venturing out into the world to obtain value from it, the traditional job of men, provided a consistent source of fulfillment for men. The act of establishing and maintaining a functional social fabric, the traditional job of women, provided a constant source of fulfillment for women. I don't think that I'm sexist for saying those things, nor do I think I'm wrong for saying that, and most doing those things, that men and women are happier. Valid data will happily back me up on both. But it does not simply stop there, you see. A further degradation of American masculinity has taken place after men have allowed culture to conform them to it. The culture of America towards men has not only shifted away from the traditional roles that they used to inhabit, the ones that brought them, and by consequence the world, so much value. Instead, it has done something even much more sinister. It has made them demonic. Not only have traditional roles and value systems for men been displaced for a new age value system, but they have been systematically taken apart and obliterated for destruction. Culture, and the men that have allowed that culture to gain dominance, has not only labeled all of the things that they view as not working as unuseful, but as fundamentally bad, or in the way that modern destructionism of masculinity use, toxic. This is a remarkably dangerous thing to do. Whenever in history a group of people has been attacked fundamentally at their core, there has always been at least a decently strong, and over time very strong, strategy towards taking that side of the group of people. It happened with women as feminism began to become mainstream. It happened to ethnic minorities during the civil rights movement. It happened to gay rights during the gay rights movement. It is currently happening now with gender expression and identity as well as Jews in regard to anti-Semitism. They all have, rightly, become, they come to the defense by those who view the attacks in the core of those people as wrong, even though all these groups can be wrong themselves, as per usual with any group that comprises human beings at all. But this has not been the case for men. There is no coming to the defense of the modern man in America. He has been hung out to dry, left to defend, but for, defend himself in a world that is constantly cutting him off from what has given him all the meaning and purpose to sustain himself throughout his existence. This has attacked men at an almost spiritual level, causing them to doubt themselves their very core of who they are for no reason other than their anatomy, biochemistry, and chromosomes. It is only the form of identity discrimination that is allowed in our culture, and one that, considering that it comprises 50% of our population, is unbelievable stu unbelievably stunning in its effectiveness. Men, and anyone who defends the right for men to cling to traditional norms in terms of masculinity, are therefore pronounced guilty by association at the scene of the crime. There is no trial nor jury for them to defend their relationship with traditional masculinity. In our era of so-called, quote, acceptance, men are strangely not allowed to accept anything about what they have always been. An erasure of history is one of those things that, in modern American life, is most strongly condemned of all. It's not fair nor right that we do it with black people, Native Americans, whomever. But it's perfectly okay, it seems, to do it with men. All that matters, the only thing that matters, is they reject all that helped get them there in the first place. Therefore, and obviously, men are left without a spot to fill. They are simply adrift, no longer welcome in one camp while hopelessly alienated in the other. This is not a good space for any person, any human, to be in. We do not do well with ambiguity. We don't do well when the things that need to be defined, such as where we belong and who we share similar value systems with, cannot be defined. We tend to get very frantic and hysterical, constantly on edge about who we should be with and why we should be with them. 
This does not have to be the case, particularly with something as straightforward as men and women. But both regrettably and unfortunately, it is. They cannot go back to the old days where tradition and encouragement that came with enforcing that tradition enabled men to act in a fashion that benefited both them and the world in a natural way. However, they cannot fully adapt to the modern world because they know full well that it is against their inherent nature to do so. They are between a rock and a hard place, a spot that once was and a spot they know that they can never reach. This has caused men an immense level of hopelessness and frustration, seen at levels that are staggering when you go down and begin to examine them. It has made their lives undeniably worse, which, as a very clear consequence, has done an equal disservice to the world around them. Without a purpose and a reason for your existence, people cling on to certain things in the false hope that will do for you what it did for those who came before you. This is not only a false hope, but it's downright and absurd and a lie. Clinging on to things, holding on to what once gave value, what once gave value, excuse me, to hope that it continues to generate value into the future, does nothing but keep you stuck in the place that keeps you miserable. This turns out to be a paradox for men, because the thing that is both harming men and giving them a reason for hope is the same thing. Unlike all other groups of people who are allowed to cling to this thing, men are no longer able to do so. This is one part of their genetic makeup that they know can no longer act they can no longer access, the one that we've discussed at length throughout this post. Tradition. The component of the traditional masculinity breaks down into two primary buckets. The first bucket, the good side of the paradox, is that of traditional mas activities, norms, and roles that have brought men value throughout their lives. This side of tradition the one that men constantly have had to cling to in order to ground them in who they are as men, is something that they could feel is too much of a part of them in order to part with entirely. And that is true. Men have a duty derived from God and their role in the world to act masculine. While this may not be the case for every single man, it is certainly the case for the bulk of men. Without masculine men, the world ceases to function orderly and properly. The second bucket, the bad side of the paradox, is the element of tradition that has defined how men have acted for the past several decades. This is the bucket that states that true masculine, the true masculine tradition and the true masculine identity is inherently corrupt and rotten, and we must establish a new postmodern tradition of what men and masculinity are supposed to act, do, and look like. These two conflicting traditions, the paradox of masculinity, are putting the feet of men in cinder blocks. It's paralyzing them. They have no idea what to do and how to properly act to get what they will need out of life. It's all going in one ear and out the other, because they are being spoken to in both ears by two different voices. But the modern man has come up with a solution for this, and unfortunately it's not a good one. Instead of moving upon the information they have, men are staying in their frozen positions. They are not acting, they are reacting. They are conforming to their environment, the frozen nature of masculinity, by doing the one and only thing that could possibly make sense given their current status in the world succumbing to superficiality. What happens to these men due to a conflict of tradition is that they believe that by trying to have the best of both worlds, it will get them to where they need to go. These men will be wrong in those assertions, because masculinity is a delicate balance. It is not something that can be skewed towards one extreme or another, like many other things in the world. It is something that must be acted upon with intense rigor and a keen eye. What results from an inability to balance your masculine energy that you project out into the world is a sense of caricature with how you portray yourself. 
which you think was going to support your false idea ended up creating a new monster that you have to contend with. It has multiplied your problems, not divided them so you can have to conquer them. Most important of all, it has filled you with a sense of something that you know is wrong, but don't want to confront due to your inability to see past the tradition paradox. This is where the terms hyperfeminine and hypermasculine come into play. The hyper-stereotypes are only present when there is an imbalance of masculinity. The men who fall for the good intentions of the tradition paradox are more prone to succumb to the hyper-masculine archetype, where condescending remarks, active rage and violence, and rampant abuse towards women via mediums like OnlyFans and porn are deemed acceptable. The men who fall for the bad intentions of the tradition paradox are more prone to succumb to the hyper-feminine archetype, where he become a gutless and spineless coward that lets himself be walked all over by the world that made him give up his sovereignty and place him on the weak side of the toughness gap. But mostly, it leaves men feeling like fools. What happens to people without a place and sense of belonging is that they tend to take too much stock in whatever people feel about them. They give up all senses of agency and ability to change their circumstances because they willingly enslave themselves to the whims of other people. When people see large amounts of purposeless men acting like buffoons, they quickly jump on the opportunity to call them names. Deadbeats, incels, losers, and the rest. Men are seeing the signs from culture that show them that they aren't wanted. So, when you think about it, it's only natural to do things that don't matter. Desire is the thing that reaps action. When you want to do something, you have to take steps to attain that something. The same exact concept applies in regards to people. When men cannot access their traditional nature, they go away from that non-incentive and work to fill the only thing that culture rewards a hedonistic lifestyle that is unmoored from meaning for most everyone, but especially for men themselves. The way that men fulfill the societal desire is by stooping to the level that society wants them to be leveled against. They stop ascending their full potential and leveling up to improve their lives. All forward motion towards something better leaves them hanging out to dry for their culture to pounce on them and coerce them into regressing from men into boys. There is no room for masculinity when there aren't men to step in and claim it. Masculinity is not an inherent birthright by any stretch of the imagination. It is something that must be constantly applied and practiced in order for it to be honed into a lifestyle. When men do things that don't matter in order to affirm the opinions about the masculine nature by others, they spit in the face of the one thing that defines masculinity for a large number of men. Utility. There is no utility in doing a thing that does not matter. In fact, it is the inherent opposite of the word useful. It is unproductive and weak, two things that men are not allowed to be. Boys have no responsibilities. Men do. Therefore, whenever a man deliberately makes himself unuseful, he deliberately cuts his masculinity out at the knees along with it. This matters, of course, for the men whose masculinity is being diminished by their own disenfranchisement from meaningful tradition. However, their disenfranchisement also affects them in a different way. A man, as mentioned, is defined by responsibility. However, responsibility has layers to it as well. Some types of responsibilities are more pressing and important than other types of responsibilities. And on top of this, there is one responsibility that, particularly for men, reigns supreme above the rest. The responsibility for other people. A man, when he becomes responsible for other people, takes on a sacred obligation to provide utility not only for himself, but for the people he has taken into his care. Therefore, when a man neglects his traditionally masculine qualities to express himself, he, by consequence, is naturally going to neglect his wife and children. This is a tremendously unfair burden to place in these two parties, particularly because if they got fucked out of what a man was, and for the longest time has, 
to have provided to be of natural service to the people that need him to be a man. Respect is to men what love is to women. That is their jet fuel, the thing that makes them run and inspires them to be better people. Women are largely validated by the amount of affection and care shown to them throughout their feminine nature. Men are not wired in most cases to be this way. Instead, men are largely validated by the amount of affection and care shown by what they do for other people in their responsibility while expressing their masculine nature. All of this goes by the wayside, however, when men shirk their traditional duties and roles of being responsible for their actions. When men begin to feel that their families no longer respect them, they begin to do the natural thing that would come from this to any other party, hate and resent them. In any psychological profile, the one thing another party can do that will automatically land them in the doghouse is not give them what they need in order to feel safe and loved by those who care about them the most, or who they care about the most. When men are not given respect within their closest relationships, this is what they feel. It doesn't matter if it's their fault or not, which, as discussed, it largely is. Men will still feel this way about respect, right or wrong as they may be, just as women will feel this way about love, right or wrong as they may be. This is where bad things start to happen, both for men and for those that men are responsible for taking under their care. This is where things like abuse and violence start to happen within households. This is where things like fighting and nipping at each other begin to happen between a husband and his wife. This is where the men start to take his the man starts to take his responsibility out of his resentment out rather on his children, the only ones lower than them on the totem pole that he is, because he can't face the fact that he's an irresponsible piece of shit. This is the part where their self-respect, which automatically must come first if anyone is to respect them reciprocally, drops down to a level that is even lower than what it currently is. That is the void that traditional masculinity, when lacking, leaves. All of this boils down to a very simple, or at least supposedly simple, realization. Men are no longer allowed by society, or themselves, to act as masculine men. Men know that they have weakened themselves too much to right the ship. They know that they refuse to help them to what do themselves do what they need to do. They become, as the former adage goes, deadbeats. These men have no one but themselves to blame. As said, no one can take anything from you if you don't allow them to. The same goes, and should go without saying, for masculinity. The inability for traditional masculinity to have a place at the table anymore in society has hampered men's ability to take their place in society as a group of people that are worthy of respect. If they are to turn the tide, that must change. But, as always, proper change always requires proper insight in how to change. Perhaps the most underrated film, besides Fight Club, of my time on Earth is Batman Begins, the first work of the Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy. The film, as it should, gets buried by its sequel, The Dark Knight, which has been unanimously lauded as one of the great works of film in the past 25 years. It's both a shame and not a shame, considering how great both of them are and what they mean. But for those who have seen the first installment of the trilogy, they all know just how much depth there is to unpack it. Batman Begins, fundamentally, is a story of evolution, metamorphosis, and transformation. However, the way that Bruce Wayne does these things to become Batman is much different than the way we usually anticipate becoming something. Bruce Wayne, after the death of his parents at the hands of the or an organized criminal, leaves his haven of Gotham to travel the world as a Luddite. He eventually makes his way to an obscure organization known as the League of Shadows, a neo-ninja neo -ninja organization 
in the Nepalese mountains that prides itself on toppling power before it becomes corrupt and oppressive. Wayne, knowing this is exactly the situation that Gotham now finds itself in, is immediately drawn to it and its charismatic leader, Ra's al Ghul. Wayne's first task, taking a dainty flower completely up a snowy mountain, gives him an immediate spectacle of what is to come. To turn Wayne into a member of the League of Shadows, Ghoul and his compatriots do not have to bring new members up. Instead, they have to strip them down. They have to shave off every mark of the civilized world and bring them down to nothing. To borrow a phrase from our friend Tyler Durden, it is only when you have nothing that you're free to do anything. As Wayne becomes ingratiated into the culture of the League, he begins to be rubbed raw by its initiation process. He is brutally beaten, nearly freezes to death, goes through incredibly rigorous physical training, and nearly dies every single day fending off men who are far superior to combat than he is. He is learning new skills, of course, but more importantly, he is learning to shed all that has cloaked him in his innocence from something that will allow him to ascend beyond that innocence. He takes the road to becoming the living embodiment of the Nietzschean Ubermensch, the man who, when embracing his duality, can emerge as someone who grows beyond the limitations of what he thought was possible. In order to do this, Bruce Wayne had to take stock of two things, where he was and where he wanted to be. Where he was was the daddy's money son of a wealthy family who's had ambition to run politics in a seemingly unredeemable city. Where he wanted to be was someone who could truly make a difference, becoming an inspiration to his city by forcing them to not run through broken systems to try to fix a problem, but trying to transcend those circumstances to create a new, loftier ambition for them to all to aspire towards. The world did not require someone like Bruce Wayne's parents or Bruce Wayne when he was living in Gotham. Rather, it required something more. It required something new, something that Bruce Wayne had to grow into. He did not have to be the person that left Gotham. That person was sheltered and weak, confined to his limited circumstances of that by modernity in the world that has made him shed his raw masculine nature. Instead, he had to force himself to grow into Batman, the thing that the world would eventually require him to be. This is exactly what men must do to reclaim themselves and their masculinity. We must get back to basics. It's not about becoming something new. Rather, it's about discovering what once was ours but we have since lost. The virtues of masculinity that form the world and men's role in it are not bad, evil, or toxic. They are necessary, especially at a time in which the world needs order, structure, and values more than ever. Masculinity got men into this problem, and masculinity will be the thing that gets men out of this problem. However, a caveat must be unearthed. This does not mean by any sense of the imagination that men can simply run roughshod over other people and value systems. This does not mean that men cannot be different in their interests in the way they express themselves. This does not give men a license to act like mindless Neanderthals. What this means is that the primal urges of masculinity, the way men are and always have been wired, are things that men are required to take upon themselves should they want to live a meaningful existence and provide value to society at large. We do not ask women to not act feminine, because femininity is needed. The same standard must be applied to masculinity should men make an attempt to get themselves back into balance. For the first way we can work to bring primal masculine energy into modern culture, we will turn away from Bruce Wayne and towards Max Dickens. Max Dickens, a British comedian and cultural commentator, wrote an incredibly fun and important book entitled Billy No Mates, which barely made it out of my best books list of 2022. Dickens, who searched for, his best, for a best man, led to his discovery that he has no close male friends, opened his mind to just how deep the hole that men and genuine friendships go. On a quest of discovering the importance and root of the issue, the one common thread he discovered was this. 
Too many men are isolated. The thing that stuck out so much about Dickens' work was just how true it was, both for myself and the men in my life. In my earlier posts and podcasts, I routinely stated that the majority of my friends were female, and I believe that would still be the case. That was not an issue in and of itself, but I always thought that me not having any male friends to go into at a time of crisis was something that was troubling. As I branched out to the few male friends that I had, the stance was remarkably similar in their life as well. There are many reasons for this, such as the dismantling of male spaces for interaction, increased male competitiveness for status in women, and the breakdown of community in society. However, regardless of the reasoning, the outcome was always the same across both men and women. Both need community, amongst themselves. There must be spaces for feminine women and masculine men to interact with one another, or else femininity and masculinity will both dissipate. The most revealing aspect of Dickens' work, however, was not that men and women need spaces to make friends and interact. The most revealing aspect was how important the way of men and women make friend, making friends and interacting is. The way that Dickens phrased it was as follows. Men make friends side by side. Women make friends face to face. And evolutionarily, this makes sense given the dynamic that we talked about pre previously. Men in the olden times had to go out in the world and provide, doing things like fighting wars and taking down woolly mammoths and shit for food. Women in the olden times had to establish and take care of the social fabric of the community. This involves a lot of men doing and a lot of women talking. These two strategies were essential communication techniques in the way that both men and women understood how to create with one another. However, with modernity, one of the things that is taking much more intact, intact than others, women, men having a lot of their responsibilities taken from them due to modern life, have failed to meet men due to a lot of the things that men did being taken away from them as the culture ascended into the current day and age. Women, on the other hand, had their opportunities to establish relationships with women enhanced by that same margin. This is not perfect science, of course, but it overwhelmingly is true in the abstract. So, for men, not only is it essential to find a community of men to interact with, it is equally as essential to find a community of men to do things with. Men are meant to do things together, not talk about doing things together. Action is a required part of being a masculine man. It demands you act upon the virtues that come with that responsibility. Part of being a man is being side by side with other men. It is an essential component and not one that can be at all dismissed. Following that, a good place to begin the actions of doing masculine things would be to seek the things that masculine men of old sought. It is not enough to engage with the world, the one that doesn't cater much to men anyways. You have to dig deeper, see the type of things that Bruce Wayne seek the type of things that Bruce Wayne saw. This does not encourage the use of explosive to blow up a Nepalese monastery, but it's not necessarily saying that the idea doesn't bring any value at all either. I'm just kidding, do not blow up a religious institution, please. I didn't say that on here. I did say that on here, but I didn't say that on here at the same time. Like Fight Club, you first rule of Fight Club is you don't talk about Fight Club, so we're gonna follow that whole allegory throughout the rest of this podcast. But the command for men should be this. Go out and do the things that traditionally brought masculine men value, and do a lot of them. When asked about what he believed to be true about the meaning of life, the great Douglas Murray gave an answer that I've repeated ever since. You find the meaning of life where others have found it before. This is a beautiful and correct answer. Meaningful things do not change in human beings that much. As discussed when talking about cultural hedonism, humans have an innate sense and understanding of the things in life that are meaningful. It is something that almost always is hardwired into our DNA as the ability to see if we are men and women, masculine or feminine. It's not something that's really easily ignored, per se. This is a specific ask for men. 
What brought men value throughout history is not much different than what brings men value now. Largely, it consists of protecting, providing, and seeking things in life that are challenging and difficult. Even though the world wants to tell men that these things are bad, they are not. No work, when done honestly and to assist other people, is bad. Whether it's flipping burgers at Wendy's or running a Fortune 100 company, all work is work that can be used to push society ahead and make the lives of other people better. Men must become masculine. It is not something bestowed upon them automatically. It is something that, to the point above, must be sought. For men not to be masculine is to forsake their birthright, to spit in the face of the God-given wonders that come with their unique gifts embedded in them throughout the natural order of the world. When you don't honor your natural gifts, whatever they may be, you'll mostly likely end up confused, depressed, empty, and sad. Too many men and women are facing this calamity now because they are not honoring that natural call. It is high time that we begin to encourage them to start living in this way once more. Work really hard at something. Preferably do that with multiple things. Provide for your family. Discover something about yourself by seeking out how traditional values help build the world. Challenge yourself to see how hard you can push at something, and then push further. Get out the energy that you use to do good things and make yourself do even better things. Strength, particularly male strength in this setting, is the key to achieving great things in the world as a masculine man. As a masculine man, you must do everything that you can to not be weak. You are required, and have always been required, to be strong, particularly in the face of the things that scare most people. The whole problem of men becoming detached from who they are and who they always were comes down to the concept of modern masculinity becoming fragile and soft. You must not be like this, because you must be better than this. You must be able to seek what the men of old sought, because it is what the, what the men of old sought that the current world needs. We need men to act as if the world depends on them for survival, because it does. Men and women working together in their masculinity and femininity is the only thing that will stop both sex of people from completely collapsing in on themselves. And, since men are half the bargain, it is in our, and the world's, best interest to develop it in a positive fashion for all. Learn to defend yourself, both with hands and with tools. Lift heavy things up and down. Eat good food. Have lots of good and safe sex. Do things that the strong and healthy do. And be masculine about it. It is not hard to be happy in modern America. It's only confusing to be happy in modern America. Seek meaning where others have found it before. As a man, meaning is to be found in engaging in your primal nature. Not the one involving pillaging villages, but the one involving your God-given talents as a man. Running from your masculinity, your inherent nature, will only leave you isolated and put off by your current inherent nature. This is not a healthy habit for any facet of being, but particularly not for something as precious and sacred as masculinity. Now, as they would probably start doing in Fight Club, every man start beats the shit and be should start beating the shit out of each other right now. Hashtag, be a man. I'm beginning to love those memes. So, oh, geez, that was loud. I don't know if that probably went out the mic. Anyways, guys, that is the podcast for the week. I am super, super pumped to be talking about that kind of stuff with you guys, as always. It's very fun. I highly enjoy it, and I hope you guys do, too. And again, new mic, so that was really fun. It was really nice to kind of not be you know, bent and hunched over the entire time and doing all that other kind of stuff. So it was fun. So I love that um, we're doing with the we're going with mics now, which is really fun. So thanks, guys, for listening. Per usual, another fire guest coming up next week. Um, get away from just my voice, and we'll hopefully have two voices on new mics next week, which will be super fun. So in the meantime, guys, thank you for listening as always. Open your mind, own the day. Talk to you guys next week. Happens. <laughs>
stopping, hopping like a rabbit. When I take the Nina Ross, you know I got to have it. I lay back in the cut, retain myself. Think about the shit and I think it well. How can I mix my grip? And how should I make that nigga straight?